Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Jeff Lynch, who will be sitting in for Matt Watson today. Now, before I get into today's episode, and because I usually forget to do the heavy lifting up front, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io. We can help you build a software development team quickly and affordably. Now, as I previously mentioned, with me today is Jeff Lynch, who's the president and founder of Smart. Jeff, is this true? This is true. Okay. So... For those of you listening, you know I love it when you're interactive. I want you to grab your phone, open a new browser, do something, and go to idlesmart.com. That's I-D-L-E smart.com. These are all also true, right? Those are all true. Oh, yeah. And on the gram and maybe the Twitters at idlesmart. Okay. So, Jeff, here we are. Tell us about idlesmart and what you guys do. What what problem are you solving, my friend? We're solving... uh fuel consumption, fuel efficiency, and uh, carbon emissions in the amongst fleets. So we're an automatic start-stop solution. We work with fleets of school buses, fleets of ambulances, fleets of sleeper cabs. And the reason what we do is important is because it's pretty common for a fleet to spend two, three, four thousand dollars $4,000 a year on fuel just as a result of idling. And they're doing that because they want to keep the drivers comfortable. They want to keep their, their vehicle ready to go. And so rather than run your vehicle all night, what we do is like a Nest thermostat. We'll monitor the temperature. We'll start and stop the engine only when necessary. And so as a result, we'll save a few thousand of those four or $5,000 a year. We'll also save about, you know, 22,000, 30,000 pounds of CO2 per vehicle per year. That sounds like a lot. <laughs> I'm not sure I know how to actually measure gaseous matter. Yeah. If, from a chemistry class, every time you burn a gallon of diesel fuel, it's 22 pounds. So if you're running 2,000 hours a year of idle time, which is pretty common amongst a fleet, that's 44,000 pounds per vehicle. You have 1,000 vehicles, you're looking at 50 million pounds of CO2. Wow. So re- real numbers, and then real a, zil- a zillion vehicles. I think a lot of people probably realize, but maybe under-realize, the uh, the heavy use of diesel vehicles like we're talking trucks different things and stuff some of which you know get a, literally a couple miles to the gallon because they're yeah. hauling a heavy load and you know that's something that pretty much anything if you go to and open your refrigerator right now everything in there was hauled on a truck absolutely unless you grew it in your backyard and if you did thanks but the stuff you used to grow it was probably hauled on a truck. Yeah. yeah. Everything's on a truck. Everything's on a truck at some point. And <laughs> Cars, trucks, and buses, man. Yeah, and it and it's not going away. Yeah. It it's something right. that it trucking is the fabric of our economy. Sure. It's not super sexy, but everything's been on a truck. And you're right. You know, an average truck might get seven miles to the gallon. Yeah. And that's pretty good. Sure. Now, now with that, um, and we, you know, we don't we don't pursue political avenues. I am a personal believer: climate change is not a political topic. People, it's a scientific fact and a reality. So get over it. That's as political as I get on this show. But okay. this is reality, man. Things are changing, and and this is you know this is real stuff. And um, I think that when people look at global problems and problems in general, they have we first have a tendency to look for the silver bullet solution. What is the solution? In the case of climate change and, and some of this stuff, this the solution is a whole lot of solutions. And I want to thank you and commend you for using entrepreneurship to do something about that. And I think it's the businesses like Idle Smart, um, regardless of what stage you're at or whatever, that collectively are going to determine what kind of world our kids yeah. live in, right? Absolutely. Because you're right. There, there is no singular solution, right? And the yeah. reality is it's a, it's the proverbial village. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing I'd say is, you know, the industry, the manufacturers have done a great job um, being cleaner. The yeah. engines you see in a diesel truck today are infinitely cleaner than your lawnmower you're pushing around your yard Yeah, from a particulate matter standpoint. So they've made huge strides. The second is this, one of the reasons this works is you're getting a financial payback 
and you're getting an environmental payback. And actually, those yep. two tend to be at odds with each other a lot of times, or you think they're at odds with each other. The reality is they're not. You can get a one-year payback on this and save meaningful amounts of CO2, right? So it's a win for everybody. I think over the last 20 years, that's become a lot more accessible, meaning like some of these solutions are are a, a lot more visible. Where Absolutely. 20 years ago, they might not have, they might have seemed a little more obtuse. You had to um, make that make that philosophical choice of we're going to go do this, right? And right. I'm going to sacrifice other things. Yeah. And the reality is you don't have to do that anymore. I think on some level too, as an entrepreneur, a startup founder, and I, you know, I take the same approach. So I, I mentioned before we recorded at full scale, we have currently have 185 employees in the Philippines and, uh, um, the, <laughs> the infrastructure there is a little different than here. And they haven't been as progressive when it comes to things like recycling and stuff like that. And those are things we've mandated in our office. Like I'm so, I'm almost just as proud of our recycling program <laughs> at our office as like the growth of the company. And yeah. last time I was there, I was literally taking pictures and like posting them on Facebook. Right? Yeah. But, but with that, um, you know, these are the things that matter and businesses are the, are the, uh, the, the biggest offenders of carbon footprint and a lot of different stuff. So, I mean, look, man, you can, you can, we can all get along. Absolutely. You yeah. figure it out. It's interesting. Just requires a little thought. Yeah. 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 And it's not hard, but I mean, it's interesting. So we do work in Canada and the U S total generalization, but I would say that Canadians tend to be greener, more mindful yeah. as they get out of bed in the morning than the average American does. And I mean, they, most, most, a lot of, com a lot of countries are, I mean, yeah. Yeah, well, I can't, is it, is it Denmark that's like pretty much completely, yeah. uh, completely wind? Yeah, one of the efficient. Yeah. Now, weren't they? Weren't they, one of those is the windmill country anyway? So that made yeah. sense. You yeah. know, you know, walking around with wooden shoes and and running windmills. But you know, I mean, that was a couple of years ago, and you know, that's just like okay, yeah. why not? Absolutely. Yeah. So, all right. There's probably you know any uh, any superhero has got a good backstory, and every startup does too. Now. This is a hardware and software com solution, right? Correct. Okay. So how did you even, how did this start? Like, what's your background? And by the way, uh, one of my favorite guests and good friends, Davion Ross, who's the, one of the founders of Shot Tracker, has one of the greatest quotes on Startup Also, He says, hardware is hard. Um, so when, and he's got the same issue as a hardware and software solution. So you've like, basically you're like, okay, so slap both sides of my face, please. Not yeah. just one. <laughs> so g give us the backstory about how you got into all this and, you know, like just, yeah, absolutely. Where did, so I, it, where did it begin? You know, and I think I did it backwards in my life. So I did work for a couple of large companies, um, had a good corporate career, not famously wealthy, but you know, had a great career. You say yet. Yet, of course, right? The ever-receding imminent bonanza in front of me. Um, but I got to a point where, you know, enjoyed what I did, loved who I worked with, worked with some great people, but maybe it's that sort of Teddy Roosevelt man in the arena kind of thing. You know, you want to live or die by what you do. You want to be successful because you were able to drive success. And if you fail, you know, you fail, you know, valiantly. So uh, a partner and I were looking for something to do. We were looking for a business to own and run it was important to us to have a real problem, sort of not a new solution to a new problem, but a tangible solution to an existing problem. And so you look at fleets, fuel consumption, we looked at the products, we looked at sort of the high level dissatisfaction, big market and said, man, there, there, there's a pony in here somewhere there, because this is a very real problem. I don't need to know anything about your fleet. If you have vehicles, I know you have a fuel problem. Yeah. And I know it's important. True. So looked at it and said, hey. There's, there's, there's something to be had here. And so, and some, and some businesses, the, the cost of fuel and its fluctuation or ability to use it wisely is the sole determining factor on whether or not they make Correct. a profit. Look at airlines. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. so, and trucking is no different. You know, uh, two biggest costs for a fleet are uh, wages and fuel. When fuel gets to be 350 a gallon for diesel, it'll be wages one, right. you know, um, or fuel one wages two. And so we looked at it and said, there, there's a, a, a solution we think we have. Um, hard work. But yeah, hardware is really, really hard. Um, let's, let's, let's talk about why for a second. And, you know, according, you know, with, when you talk to Davion, the thing is, is, you know, hardware is, is literally something you hold in your hand. And depending on, you know, how it's updated, changed or improved it may require manufacturing solutions, Absolutely. which are not immediate. And, you know, in the modern world of software development, you can 
push a repository from GitHub to your server and and fix it and patch something like fast. Yeah. Not so straightforward with yeah. a lot of hardware. Yeah. And I think one of the things we, we struggled with, but we think we've, we've solved for is, so when you buy a car, you don't pick the engine, you don't pick the transmission, you don't pick any of that stuff. You pick your cup holders, you pick your radio, you pick all that stuff. When you buy a truck, you decide if you want a Peterbilt with a Cummins engine in it yeah. or a Peterbilt with a back car. And so you also pick if you want an Allison transmission or some other transmission. So all the permutations are like infinitely you know, larger than what we do every day. And so we had to create a solution that worked for every single make, model, year, configuration, which when you solve it is amazing, but it's really, really hard because it takes time and energy to do that. And so we think our hardware software solution does that but it's not as easy as you think. And I was sort of think about it in the context of when voice recognition technology came out, you know, it was sort of 95% out of box. That was sort of the quote, right? What that means is when you call somebody and you're using voice recognition technology, you're generally screaming at a rep because 95% is terrible, right? Our software hardware solution has to be 100%. Mm -hmm. It has to work for every single vehicle, 2006 or newer. And weird things to deal with too, anytime you're putting something on a vehicle. So in the past, I used to work for Roland, the world's largest maker of electronic musical instruments. Mm -hmm. Now, when you, uh, so they, I mean, $5 billion a year of musical equipment mm -hmm. and there's so things you have to consider. So you look at, uh, I don't know, take an electronic, anything, a guitar pedal or whatever, and it's got little joints that are soldered in it. Well, a, a true working musician is going to be traveling with that. It's going to be bouncing around in the back of a van, a bunch of different stuff and those solder joints will break. Yep. So just like goofy stuff like that, when you like, and like with shot tracker, that's some, that's an item that's in a bouncing basketball. Yeah. Yeah. Boom, 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 you know, and it's like, you know, so just certain things like make it even more difficult. Like first off, make the hardware work and now make it work in a spinning, buzzing, slamming, bouncing, moving environment. Yeah. So a, a typical truck will drive 120,000 miles a year. Right. It's not a smooth ride. It's bouncy. Yep. It vibrates. And the average truck on the road is like eight and a half years old. Hot. It's hot. Cold. Exactly. Wet. Extreme and not a ton of care. TLC. Right. So stuff gets beaten up. Dirty. So you have to yeah. you have to design it so it's going to last for 10 years. So is, how do you do that? By trial and error. You get a lot of stuff wrong. And then you look back when you get it right, you go, of course, right? But that's the reality. Yeah. And those are other things that are hard to, to deal with and test too, is until you have something that's been alive for 10 years, you can't say what's going to happen to it in 10 years. And remember, so we have on our solution. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we have on our, our part of our product is we measure the hood angle because we don't want to start a truck when the hood's open because of technicians and safety. It makes complete sense. And Oh man, there's more to consider. Yeah. And so we have we, to make it safe. Yeah. And, uh. and so we had a, a mercury switch that measures the hood angle. So guy called me from somewhere in, I don't know where in the Yukon territory and said, how low does your how low does your hood switch go in terms of you know um, in terms of reliability? I said it's good for anything, and he said I just looked outside as negative forty three, and I said is that Celsius or Fahrenheit? He goes it doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> he goes, true. It's negative forty three, and the reality is Mercury starts to freeze at about negative thirty five. Mm. You go okay. God, now I got to know science. Now I got <laughs> should have paid attention, right? The freezing point yeah. and all of that. So I quit. Just I quit. Trial and error. There's just this this stuff is. I wish it was a straight line. It's not. Entrepreneurship's trial and error. Oh yeah, so it are is. startups. It is. So it? is marriage. <laughs> so so your, is all of it. Your words, not mine. <laughs> but it's true, man. It is it's true. true. I, I personally, I'm, I'm well. I've been married to two women named Jill. They're different. Okay. I'm so much better at it the second time. <laughs> yeah, I am. But and I, so unwilling to ever do it again a third time if that didn't. So work. you're, you're so. locked into the second one, then. Yeah, and she doesn't listen to the show. She's still on episode one. So clearly, I love you, honey. <laughs> um, all right, so so you're getting started in this. What did you mentioned? A, you have a co-founder. I do. Okay. Do either one of you have a history in trucking or any of that? I'm classically trained as a poli sci major, so which of course lines me up perfectly to be in trucking. No, so I was in technology, telecom, microprocessors but generally a business background. Okay. But and, you're, but this is a business solution. It I is. I mean, that's okay. It is. Yeah. It's a, I mean, at the end of the day, how can you go to somebody and say, this, this solves a problem for you. I can lay it out for you. And this solves a yeah. meaningful financial problem for you. So, um, and you know, one of the things we've, as we've hired, we've figured out that it's all about hiring for the will, not the skill. I can teach you trucking. 
right? I can't teach you. I can't teach your DNA. I can't teach your ability to deal with ambiguity and have the world change dramatically Monday through Friday, you know, midnight to midnight. That's hard to hire for people who can live in the gray area and who want to learn. But, you know, we can we can work with that if you have the DNA. Yeah, actually, congratulations. You made me write something down. Hire right. for the will, not the skill. There you go. Hey. I think if you can get both, you're going to win. But, you know, you you just hit on something. And, uh, you know, this uh, our conversational format sometimes takes little side angles. Um, I, I, you know, as anytime you're a startup and you guys were founded in 2014. So, I mean, you're in, in the five-ish yep. year old range, maybe a little older than that maybe, but, you know, you have to, anytime you have a startup or a new venture, you got to figure out how to staff it and like who's going to work and a whole lot of different stuff. There is one thing if you, you can't train and that's people that care mm-hmm. and that's a will, that's a, that's a category of, of willing. And it, I think I just, I, I have a hard time getting, not dropping that advice to the listeners like if you have people that are that care you that's an intangible that you can't train people to do i've had people that had all the skills and they looked freaking amazing on paper and they did not have the will and they did not succeed yeah they didn't care and and it it, you learn the hard way You, you cycle through people and we've had a lot of great people i work with amazing people but it really comes down to again i call it the dna you really have to have the ability to learn deal with ambiguity be taught and figure it out yeah i've realized one one thing about employees um they're either good right away or they never will be i i mean it and prove me wrong cuz if you're listening out there i want you to think about anybody you've ever hired or the people you worked with it is like literally a one in a million when they're like, that dude was the worst on day one. And now he's the CEO is, <laughs> you know, it's it, or the great or like the leader. It's, yeah. it just doesn't work that way. There's something about great employees and they, they are impactful right away. Yeah. Oh, you know? I mean, and they, you, you can just tell and, and, and just tell. I agree. I mean, it, I guess statistically it can happen. Right. But I'm not betting on uh, it. Yeah. I'm not saying it's a zero. Yeah. But it's, small number yeah it's kind of like the movie rudy like my <laughs> chance at my age of being a walk-on and playing in an actual football game at notre dame or like one in five billion yeah so you're saying and I have that a chance. and well that would be i think that be i think i could probably make enough money to negotiate that somehow yeah but i think i could probably make a big enough donation to like play and one play yep in a 63 to 7 lead for the last play of the game exactly and they might not even it might be a kickoff um okay so now with getting started so here here what's your founder's name co-founder's name uh harry campbell okay so so jeff and harry go to start idle smart and you does he have a background in trucking he does not he and i does not and so he uh it was interesting so we were looking for something to do he met with a guy he went through this binder full of sort of crazy ideas and he said hey he called me and said, hey, I found one I really like, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but you need to go meet with this guy and go through his list of, he's got stray cats and stray dogs, and tell me what you think. And so met with this guy and it came out and I said, man, that's time I'll never get back. But what, there was one idea in there that I thought was phenomenal. It's this thing, Idle Smart. And he said, yeah, yeah, that's it. Dude, I, you only need one. Right, so, all you need so you mentioned one. the dogs and the cats and the time you aren't going to get back. That's fine. Oh, yeah, I know. Because, and that's actually my whole, uh, you know, I've uh, I've got a, I have a harbor full of unsailed ships. Yeah. Now, ships are meant to be, meant to be at sea. Yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, and and the boats will rise with the tide, whatever you want to order, boat analogy you want to yeah. make. But the thing is, is, is sometimes as an entrepreneur, you just got to like run through infinite ideas. And I do that so much. I talk to so many people like right now, I probably have 15 different ongoing conversations with people about startup ideas. Yep. Or things that we might do. Some of those are internal. Some of those are with clients. Some of those are with friends. And we will continue to talk about them until they either happen or they just don't make sense anymore. Yeah. And that's natural. That's normal. Yeah. You don't, you know, like that's, I, I like to say I try 10 things hoping that one works. Yeah. But and when one works. That's all you need. Let it grow. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and, it, and it's not, you know, not necessarily they're bad ideas. It's just. Things we looked at and said, that's not our interest. That's not sure. what we do. Maybe somebody else has some idea around how to make a better rubber band. 
that's not our gig. Jeff, that's a key point because, you know, I, and, and I joke around, I'm like, man, I've thrown a lot of million dollar ideas away because there's hundred million dollar ideas or yeah. different stuff. And then sometimes your agenda changes like with full scale, that uh, full scale started with Matt and I becoming a business partners at Gigabook, a software platform. And because we have a team in the Philippines and Matt wanted one as well, that became a pretty attractive thing for other people we knew, podcast listeners, podcast guests, our peers. And they started saying, what can we do to get some people in your office in the Philippines? Yeah. And we said, huh, we might, maybe we should try this out. Year yeah. and a half later, we have 185 employees <laughs> over there that work for about 40 different tech companies. And we're expecting that to more than double this year. Yeah. So with that, our agenda changed. So, you know, that can, that can occur too. So what I just described is typically known as a pivot. Yeah. Pivots can happen for reasons that are good or bad. Have you guys had, had any pivots or where have you had to change direction or, or perhaps tried and failed or a lot of tried and failed? Yeah. Um, I think normal. One of the, two of the things that stand out, we started off with our channel channel strategy was going through uh, a dealer network, pretty well established in the mm -hmm. industry, made a lot of sense, right? Everything flows through a dealer network. Um, what uh, what we found out is that for what we sell, which is a pretty high tech solution, it's a terrible network. Yeah. It's not because they're bad people, just because they don't understand how to sell a product. They can sell brake pads, they right. can sell clutches, they can do all that stuff. So we spent probably nine months pushing hard on that and realizing not working. Well, if Watson was here today, he'd talk a lot about that because especially in early stage, it's sometimes easy to look at what seems like this mega sales channel yeah. and you put all your effort and energy into it and then you can be disappointed because they're focused on all the other stuff yeah. that matters to them and you can quickly realize that you're just another item on the shelf. You get the Mr. Blutarski 0, 0.0, right? It's yeah. just not working. And then, the, so that was one. Was that my GPA? <laughs> it was my GPA. Mine was close. <laughs> Mine was close. Um, and and, and but to throw that out there, I am very transparent. I have dropped out of five colleges. Okay. Yeah. Gives you a lot of alumni weekends to go back to. No, I'm not an alumnus. <laughs> no. I, the, I, I qualify as what they refer to as a Subway alum. That okay. means you either are just a huge fan or you went there and didn't finish. Okay. I get you. You're... I'm in the class of infinity. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so that was one. Uh, just channel strategy, complete miss. Mm -hmm. Second was um, we had a platform. We, we launched our products, you know, 14. Actually had a really good year, 14, 15. One of the things we looked at is, it was incomplete feature-wise, so we added some other features, and it wasn't remotely connected. So we actually rebuilt the product all over again and said, you know, we're going to take what we do, we're going to evolve it, because we could do really well with a portion of the market, or we think we could do amazingly well with all of the market. Sure. And so we rebuilt the platform in 2016, 2017, relaunched it, put a wireless modem on them, add some data elements to it. It's a major shift. I mean, you're literally pulling yourself out of the market after you've just spent yeah. all this time and money, but you have to say, you know what, in 10 years, you know, this dog's not going to hunt. I need to have something different. Right. So we pivoted and redid it again. I think a common mistake that startups just in general d don't even care about the industry make is trying to be good at five things before they're good at one. Yeah. And uh, that's advice that I give a lot. Um, and, you know, and, and then also maybe if you're trying to be amazing at five things, maybe one of those is really only one that mattered anyway. Yeah. The other things are just kind of ancillary. Yeah. So um, in your, in your case at IdleSmart, and once again, go to IdleSmart.com, check them out on social media, um, I-D-L-E smart.com. But I, I say so often saving money is making money. If your solution can help people save time, if it can help people save money, and really if it can just give someone some peace of mind or eliminate something they hate doing, you're onto something. Yeah. You, 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 have, you have a boat that might float. Yeah. Lots of boat references today, even though we're talking about trucking. <laughs> it's okay. It's all transportation. You have a truck that, no, I don't have... <laughs> Um, let me, let me, let me, uh, hey, for, here. for our production staff, why don't I have more truck <laughs> references in here? Um, but you know, one of the things we talk about internally is, um, you know, we, we want our product to work, save money, drive down fuel expense, but in a weird way, we don't want to be engaging with our customers 24 seven. It's sort of like 
it, it, the water company. I turn on my faucet, the water comes out. I just, that's all I need yeah, them to yeah. do. We, we want to have a po positive relationship with them, but it just needs to work. And I think for in this industry, which is really reactive, thin margin, if you can do something that provides value consistently and reliably, you do great. Yeah. Um, and they shouldn't have to talk to a human seven hours a day to figure it out. Yeah. I, uh, um, at full scale, the people have asked me, they're like, how do you know when your clients are successful when I never hear from them yeah. unless they want to buy something? Yeah. <laughs> because I mean, realistically, like our whole model is set up to be no touch. Like we get you onboarded. You're working directly with a team that reports directly to you. They are your long-term solution. I don't provide any value by being in the middle of that at any point. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, that's a good answer. Um, another thing too is it's expensive to talk to your clients all day. Like yeah. really expensive. And as the founder of Gigabook, which starts at 15 bucks a month, if you're a $15 a month account, I cannot afford to ever take a phone call from you. Yeah. Yep. I can do one a year as long as it's less than 20 minutes. Yeah. Past that, you have destroyed my margins. Yeah. And it, and it, it's not a good fit for, for either. Right. Yeah. yeah. By the way, one of the things that if you, if you do have a low entry, I mean, like a $15 a month SaaS product, we literally won't do a phone call with you. If you have five seats, we will, because yeah. we can actually afford it. So figure out when and where. Um, there's so much info. <laughs> the Matt DeCourcy School of Customer Service <laughs> is not widely accepted, but I believe it's 100% right because I don't believe that the customer is always right. Customers do what you let customers do quite often. You give them the free ketchup, they're going to take a lot of ketchup. Sometimes, yeah. Well, I mean, at some point, did you have a drawer full of Taco Bell sauce? Absolutely. Yeah, I still do. <laughs> and I don't eat tacos regularly. Yeah, but it was but, free. But the point is, is, is figure out like, you know, you can have certain things in your business that like, okay, so we have fired users from Gigabook. Like we had one lady that was 70% of our support tickets and she would pay 15 bucks a month. I didn't know, I didn't realize this because I don't do too much with it, with Gigabook. I'm not involved with it every day, but I saw it in a report and I was like, why are we even handling, like we lose significant money monthly, even replying to this lady. Yep. And by the way, they weren't actual things that were wrong. It's just user error. Yeah. And some people are just high maintenance, high touch. Yeah. So figure it out, figure out what works. Okay. So... The other thing I was going to add oh. in that we tried to do a little differently is I, I come out of sort of large companies that are, again, great experiences, but from a customer service standpoint, so we have a lifetime product warranty on all of our parts. People look at that and go, why would you ever do that? One, because why would you ever do that? One, because it differentiates us. Two, financially, it actually makes sense. We don't have a lot of damage. We don't have a lot of issues. But the reality is, you know, we should put a product out there that works. Mm -hmm. Now, if you break nine components a week, we're going to have a special conversation in the special room about what you're sure. doing. But the reality is put a product out there that works. If people break it, make, you know, have a mistake, have a problem, give a new one. Is there a software or something else that generates revenue with that hardware product that makes it even, that really makes that make sense too? Yeah, there are. There's right. some other well, there you go. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, we, we don't want to be in the parts yeah. business. We want to be in the, we provide value business. And yeah. so if it's HP not, doesn't make money selling you the printer. They make money, money selling the, the car. Yeah. Exactly. But for the world's most valuable commodity, which is apparently printer ink, exactly. $6 million a gallon. Exactly. Roughly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. I, ha I have some unique perspective on the uh, printer industry because Lexmark has 2,500 employees in Cebu City where offices in the Philippines. A lot of our employees have worked there. <laughs> I still have not answered the question of, of why is printer ink literally the most expensive commodity in the universe? Right up there with razor blades, though. Razor right blades there. are cheap compared to printer <laughs> ink, man. Um, by the way, the with razor blades, that's a classic example. We'll, we'll use fancy word, ogalopoly. Uh, that's when less than three companies control 97% or more of a market. Yep. yep. And that means that there's no competition. Which means you can charge 27 bucks yeah. for... Typically, it's not even three. It's typically two. Yep. Name four brands of razor blades, Jeff. Gillette. Wilkinson. Wilkerson? Wilkinson. Probably owned by Gillette or Schick. Yeah, or Schick. There you go. And that's really it. And Bic. Don't they make pens and razors, which is it's kind same of... Same companies. <laughs> 
they have their own different products because yeah. they want more shelf space and they want it to look like more selection, but they're only two companies. Yeah. Now, some of them are popping up as a competition for yeah, that, but that, the... that's why that is what yeah. it is. And by the way, those two companies will buy Dollar Shave Club eventually oh, and those other things too, because that's how. They'll figure out the segment, they'll buy that's it. That's how it works, yeah. people. Exactly. Okay, so Idle Smarts here in Kansas City, you have some ties to Massachusetts, is that correct? That's correct. First off. I hate the Patriots. I just want to get that out there. I'm a Dolphins fan. Good. So, um, and thank you for beating the Patriots we, and helping the Chiefs. <laughs> yeah. I'm, we serve the needs of the Chiefs Chiefs kingdom, which is we wow. make a noble cause. This isn't going to come out before Sunday, but I'm really hoping that I can say headed to the Super Bowl as you're listening and going to the game on Sunday. It's I'm on be, the bandwagon. Oh, dude, it's going to be so cold. And my wife was like, we went last year where it was zero degrees, which Tom, Tom Brady. I lived in Indianapolis for seven years and was kind of a Colts fan and watched Tom Brady pretty much destroy hopes and dreams there, too. <laughs> so when he came and beat us in the AFC Championship last year. He doesn't discriminate. Uh, he's just so dreamy. Yeah. So it's hard to, you know, it's just really hard to hate him, even though I, I do. I have a love-hate with Tom Brady. There you go. I've admitted it. That's okay. Okay, so here in Kansas City, you uh, you raised a Series A round. Uh, if you guys want to figure out how much that is, go do some online research on Idle Smart. Um, but with that, you got some participation from the KC Rise Fund. We did. We yeah. did. You know, back to you know, people matter. Yep. You know, things like your investors and your partners matter too. Like, yes. So, K- so th- that's a hot topic. And can you talk about how? So KC Rise, um, how we had Darcy Howe. Correct. Has been, she's a startup hustle alumnist um, and a friend and uh, funding and raising capital is a hot topic for anybody interested in startups. And uh, can you drop some insight on your fundraising process and then explain how funds like KC Rise work to supplement that? Yeah, absolutely. So I tell you, the process itself is, is painful. So one of my jobs in, uh, in my prior lives, I was actually a middle school teacher. So Mm. If you can sell American history to an eighth grade boy, you can you can be pretty well versed in pitching your your company. But it's hard. I mean, it's it's a numbers game. Go meet a hundred, see if you can get two or three. Yeah. Um, By the way, say that again. Yeah, probably. Yeah, go go meet a hundred and hope, hope to for get, one. Yeah, hope for yeah. one. If you get yeah. two or three, you're killing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And be told your idea is terrible over and over and over again. Not terrible. Maybe it's whatever. It's not suboptimal. It's not going to get a 30x return. Whatever it is, you're going to hear a lot of notes. You, you need to realize that that person is not your friend at that point. They're meaning like they're if they are interested, it's their, still their job until they write you that check to get the best deal possible. Absolutely. So some of this stuff is also positioning and it is what it is, but listen for the echoes. All right. Continue. Yeah, well, and, Continue, and then, sir. Yeah. And the other thing I'd add to that process is accelerate the point of failure. If you're going to tell me no, that's great. Just Tell me no now yeah. early on versus, you know, spending the next nine months dating and realizing it's not a good yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I, that's um, the, 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 there are two four letter words that I love in any sales type process and that's sold or next. Yeah, it's okay. You yeah. can, at least you have the answer, right? Yeah. So I went through the process. You know, one of the things we loved about Case You Rise and other investors is, yeah, they're, they're a good, good group of people, smart. They ask good questions. They know what to get engaged in. And they're infinitely helpful expanding our network and our reach. Yes. How can I help? Honestly, if, if they're running the business better than I'm running the business, I shouldn't be running the business. That's True. not their job. And True. so I think Darcy and her team and our other investors, great people look at how do I help you get further, faster, sooner, better. And that's why I wanted you to define that. That's pretty much the definition of smart or smarter money. Yep. Um, now, some people don't care. Yeah, I mean, listen, sometimes a dollar is a dollar. But if they, you can find someone that's going to give you the dollar and make a call, turn a key, yeah, slap you on the back, yeah, tell you get moving, yeah, oh, that, any of that. That's awesome. It yeah. makes a big – so what KC Rise is is, a, is um, often known as a matching fund or a supplemental fund. So um, they do not lead investment rounds, Correct. but they piggyback on to them with a hell of a lot of – predetermined partners. Yep. So, and if you're here, you can check them out, KC Rise. Um, so I'll give you an example. Let's say you've got a company that's right for funding, contact them and ask them which of their partners might be interested in what you're doing because they very well are some other fund similar to that will maybe make it so you don't have to contact a hundred people to find one. Maybe you, they'll give you a 10. It's a good place to start. Um, 
the I think the second episode of Startup Hustle ever, episode two, is called uh, "Raising get, Getting Funded Sucks." Yeah, it does. Yeah, hundred percent. It is. Uh, I hate it. Um, it is the most humbling, frustrating, difficult, lame. If I had a thesaurus right now, I would be, I would open it to lame and just read a list, but yeah, it's tough, man. And, and you know, the, you got to keep in mind and go back and look for the, the episodes that were related to raising money or venture capital, because they're very informative, but the guests will literally tell you why you're looking for a hundred places, hoping one wants to talk. They're looking at a hundred applicants hoping to maybe find one. I have a simple sales formula that I've used for years that I come up with. I call it 10, 8, 4, 2, 1. You have to find 10 people. Only eight might even acknowledge you're there. Four of them will be interested in what you're talking about. You're hoping two are qualified and one might buy. Yeah. And that was a might. So, and this is a, this is a, this is a proven thing. So therefore, if I said using that formula, what's the next best thing that you should what, what, what should you do next? You asking me that? Sure. You know, so I think um, the good thing, I'll, let me add on just the investor side. Our, other, our lead investor is uh, Mass Clean Energy Commission. So leaving Tom Brady out of it in Massachusetts, every utility bill has a little surcharge and they take that money and they put it into a fund. Mm-hmm. And that fund invests in clean energy startups and jobs nice. and things in Massachusetts. So we're a beneficiary of that. So great program comes from the governor. It's been phenomenally successful. Um, but as you go to see in potential investors, you know, even in those, the 10, the eight, the four, the two, the one, there's a handful of those that want you to do things that probably don't line up with what you think yeah. is right. And yeah. you got to be open to say, listen, these guys want to write a check for X, but you know what? They want us to make bowling balls. You know what? That's yeah. not our business right. and it's not going to work long-term. And by so, the way, the answer to the 10, eight, four, two, one question is find as many people as possible. Yeah. So make that 10 X, right? Yeah. Or yeah, it's no different than selling, right? What goes in the funnel comes out. There's a mathematical relationship. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't answer the question. No, it's fine. My bad. Pass. No, it's okay. (laughs) It's okay. No, no, no judgment. Remember the 0.0 GPA? That's in that same general theme. I'll tell you what, there's a couple things. You you mentioned earlier that you, you kind of alluded to the fact that you took a non-standard path to being a founder. Uh, There is literally like just data everywhere. Uh, there's a huge misperception in in the uh, the relative makeup of a startup founder. It's actually the the most successful age for startup founders is 45. Yeah, I would. I, and so, but but in Hollywood and certain things, they we pick a couple people. You look at like, oh, here's Zuckerberg, and he made yeah. Facebook, and blah blah blah. Dorm. You know, here's this guy, and he invented this cryptocurrency. Yeah, well, that's those are the outliers. Yeah. So that's actually not a non-standard path. It's actually the, um, by the way, I turned 45 this year. So I'm hoping to add to that stat. But, this is it, man. This is the it, year. Well, I mean, a lot of it has to do with you get a reasonable amount of experience that comes in there. You're still young enough. They, they say you have your earning, uh, your, you have your uh, learning, earning, and yearning years. So prior to that, you're gaining your experience. Yeah. Then, uh, I mean, typically in the in that scenario, in the late 20s, sometimes early 30s to about 50, you have your earning years. That's, And then you are yearning to retire yeah. <laughs> or do something different, which is, you mentioned earlier, you made an analogy about a dog that won't hunt. A fat dog doesn't like to hunt. So yeah. you, you put in some years, you start to slow down a little bit. Yeah. So you get those yearning years. But yeah, so. Well, you know, and, and uh I've had a lot of different jobs. One of the companies I work for really believed in moving people all around. So I have a finance background, but the first thing they said is don't go work in finance, go work in customer care, go work in strategy, go do anything but what you know, because mm-hmm. we want well-rounded leaders. Yeah, yeah. And you know, that, that serves me well, even if it's things I know I don't ever want to do again, Sure. you get informed by the experiences you have. And so I would, I would get that, that mid, mid forties, late forties, you've seen enough to say, I think I have a pretty good feel for how the business works. I can apply my learnings. Even as a teacher, I apply those learnings every day. You're basically conveying a message to somebody. Yeah, I'm an honor student at Startup Hustle University. <laughs> I get about a one-hour lesson every day on who knows what. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's actually what I really enjoy about, about um, uh, hosting the show is 
I literally for about an hour a day have an interesting, engaging topic. It's I, I'm very passionate about business, entrepreneurships, and commerce, all that stuff. So, but you, I mean, I look back at in the next week, the 200. By the time you have heard this, the 250th episode of Startup Hustle will come out. That's awesome. a lot. Congratulations. And it's just a lot though, you yeah. know, and like, but, it, but it's fun. And it's, and, and, you know, that, that creates a, a well-rounded uh, verse, by the way, uh, here we go. I'll drop a little life hack on you. There's a cool app called Blinkist okay. that uh, you can subscribe to. It's like 10 bucks a month and it gives you a 10 to 15 minute condensed version of popular books. Okay. It's almost like cliff notes, but audio. So in 15 minutes, you can get like all the, like all the key points out there's of your, business books. Here's your commute to home. Your, it's you like, know. it's like in the matrix where Neo plugs in and he wakes up and he's like, I know Kung Fu. There you you can like upload it all in like minutes. So, right. okay. Well, let me ask you a question, please. So you 250 podcasts. What are the themes you hear out of all those? What are the things you take away and say, I, I always hear ABC. Oh man. I mean, first the entrepreneurship is hard. Yeah. Um, like really hard that um, people experience a lot more failure than they were maybe expecting to in the beginning and how they handled it had everything to do with whether they were successful or failures. Um, and then I think the third part is, I mean, kind of related to something I definitely would have listed as a possible thesis before starting this. And that's that if you're not passionate about what you're doing, you're probably going to quit. Yeah. So, you know, and I, I, I think that, um, then you talk about raising money and, and stuff like that. Uh, we get, you know, so full scales invested almost a million dollars in the last year in startups. Exactly. Um, and with that, um, I can tell right away if someone's passionate about what they're doing and if they're not, I don't, you know, so next. Here's, here's another little pithy quote. Say a guy I work with told me this. You believe in what you're doing or be leaving what you're doing. Yeah, there you go. You know, just if you don't like what you do, that's okay. Yeah. Change it. Work to change no, it. No, yeah, and I agree. And I mean, that's it. Like, and the, and the thing that, uh, I mean, you and I were speaking before we hit record about the show in general. And you mentioned that um, you enjoy, and you have listened, thank you, um, that you enjoyed the fact that we have transparency about that this is not easy. Yeah. It's not entrepreneurship is hard it is it means brutal it, it really is and it's made harder by all the public signs even though there are a fraction of the signs yeah. of all the goodness of why isn't why aren't you a billionaire now why is it taking so long why you and, know? and by the way it never it doesn't no one gets rich fast that's like the, that is back to that like one in a billion yeah. kind of thing like it is a marathon it is also a sprint it's i mean it's like it's just 10 different kinds of brutal um, and I think that's another recurring yeah. thing is that, you know, like it, it is that that will age you. Um, it, it's funny cause I am overwhelmingly optimistic. Um, there are two things I am not optimistic about and that is raising capital and the amount of time it takes to arrive at a destination. Yeah. So whatever, because they're just, <laughs> I mean, you can be hopeful. But I, you know, looking at the experience that I've gained, I've just like, I mean, you hear, you'll go to like business school and stuff like that and be like, well, you're probably going to spend two times more. It's going to take twice as long. They're right. It's probably more like three and three. Yeah, exactly. So you have to plan for that. And I think that, um, uh, that's another thing too. I think if you're wanting to start a startup, you need to really, really, really like you, you I, too many people just only look at the sunny side. Or, or they only look at the negative side and they have absolutely no provision for what will happen if things go well. Yeah. You to look at both. Just like be really well-rounded. Yeah. And, and um, you mentioned being a poli-sci student at one point. I was a sociology major. And okay. uh, I once had a professor hold up a picture of a cow and the cow was standing sideways and it was white. And he said, is this a spotted cow? And uh, it, pretty much everyone was like, no. And he's like, you can't tell. You have to walk around it, get under it, stand on top of it, look it right in the right straight in the face. You got to look at every part of your business, at your startup, your plan, all of it, and you have to be really, really like brutal on your own possibilities because yeah. these are the things that you have to give some consideration to. Oh yeah, you yeah. Know? No, you, and you have to say, "Wow." It's uh, a classic SWOT analysis yeah. approach, yeah. and then say, "Made a huge mistake. Have to change." Sure, like, and that and and not over the next nine months. Like we're changing now. 
right? Yeah, I've I've seen, I've had inside perspective, not not necessarily personally myself, but with a lot of businesses that have failed. And I think the one thing that was universal across them was that there was an unwillingness to admit that what they were doing wasn't working and make change. Yeah. Like, and some of that were some, most of these cases were actually businesses that had once been successful and then just failed to evolve. And, you know, the, and by the way, you can spot those right away when you go into the talk to people and they're like, yeah, it's not like it used to be. (laughs) And you're like, well, what are we doing to change that? I don't know. Back in, I'm like, oh man. Okay. Well, unless we get that DeLorean tuned up and hit, (laughs) what was it? 88 miles per hour. Exactly. With the, uh, it's not that they lithium crystals. We need a flux capacitor. We need some lightning, maybe some kyber crystals from (laughs) Star Wars. We need Christopher Guest, right? We need, we need the whole cast. Do we need him? If we have all the other stuff, we, I don't know if we do. He's a nice, he's a nice ad though. Yeah. So that's true. All right. So we finish episodes of Startup Hustle by doing what we call the Founders Freestyle, which uh, as we bounce around for many topics. And once again, thanks for coming in. Uh, for those of you listening, go to idlesmart.com. Check out what Jeff Lynch and his team are doing. I think it's pretty cool. Uh, we bounced around for a lot of different topics, but um, you know, really in the end, the hardware, software, I think we could talk about fuel efficiency for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, we it's can improve it. Sexy. We, we can, can do, we can do better with it. And yep. you guys are really like what you're doing and the approach at it, but I want to give you the mic to just kind of say whatever it is that you want to say on our way out. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. It's been great to be here. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Great in. being with you. Um, I think, you know, I think we've hit on a lot of the key things that sort of go through my little pea brain every day. Um, it is hard, but you know what? That's not a reason not to do it. Find something you're passionate about, go do it, and understand you're going to fail 50 times a week, and yeah. you just keep going. The other is, you talk about it, find the right people. That's the people who work with you, for you. Um, they come in a lot of shapes and sizes from a lot of different backgrounds. Look beyond the resume because the reality is you're battling every day. You need people who will sort of prop up yourself and the team and the business. And also, you know, you, you guys live it at full scale, right? Find the right partners. The best partners aren't the people who tell you or do what you tell them to do, right? The best partners are the ones that say, man, that's a colossally stupid idea if I do say so myself. Why don't you do it this way, right? Find good partners who make you better. That's why you pay them. It's just like investors, right? Yeah. Find good people. Um, and then the other, I always tell people, the I think it's the Ben Horowitz book. There's only two emotions. There's euphoria and there's despair. And the intervals between those two emotions when you do this is like either minutes or hours or days. That's okay. You just got to live through it. You just keep going through it. Just if you believe in it, just keep going through it. Yeah, I think you're right on all that stuff. I've, I, you actually, I, I made a point to write down, but believe in what you're doing or be leaving what you're doing. Now, I'm going to expand on that in, uh, in Congress with something else we mentioned, and it had to do with people that were working and talking about getting the right people around, um, especially when you have a small team. I want you to look at your team and think of it as a percentage. So if you have a total mm-hmm. people, if you have four people at your startup and one of them doesn't believe, that means 25% of your company does not believe in what you're doing. Now you can get away with that. Okay. At full scale, if we have one person out of 200 that doesn't believe in what we're doing, eh, I think we'd be doing pretty great. Yeah. Right. Let's just be realistic there. Uh, If 25% of our staff didn't, and that would be 50 people, that would be that we have something catastrophic either brewing or already and already occurring. Yep. And with that, um, you know, small teams are ripe for contagion. Yeah. So it's sometimes, you know, I, I was talking to someone recently who was describing a problem they were having. And I said, dude, you don't have a problem with your business. You have a problem with someone at your business. And it was just one, it was really just one person there that just seemed to be serving shit sandwiches to everyone for lunch. (laughs) Now there's something about shit sandwiches and that's if you eat one, nothing else tastes great for a while. And you need to either hurry up and eat it really quickly or figure out how to not get it on the plate. You know, we, we, uh, one of the things I learned early on, which was hard is when you hire the wrong person. So a traditional journey is it takes forever to get him or her out. Right. Not me. And, you know, back to the, get that accelerating the point of failure. We had a guy, super good guy, not a good fit, realized it right away. He didn't go from 
90 day probationary period to being next in line to be CEO, right? Just wasn't going to work. And so we let him go. I but, say if you have a turd in the in the punch bowl, you got to flush it. Flush it. Get it and out. So, you know, shame on us for hiring yeah. them, right? It's our mistake, but treat them fairly. Give them, yeah, yeah. Give them a, a nice path out. And, say, and then, you know. And, and by the way, I'm not just saying don't be heartless and just be like, you don't have a job. Like, I mean, there's yeah. sometimes you got to sit down and say, hey, look, I really just, thought this was going to work out. Not. I don't think it's not. What do we need to do to, to free up your future and transition yeah. you to whatever you're doing next? Yeah. And then yeah. the other piece you get is the team comes back to me and says, Man, that guy was terrible. Yeah. Right. And they appreciate it because it's like, and, but I, but I would, my response to that would be, was why is this, if, if that's the first time you're hearing that from them? Yeah. Why? Okay. So we didn't get this right. Please don't let, Wait. don't, don't, if this were to occur again, don't let this be the, the point of the timeline where you speak up about yeah, exactly. this. So, yeah. That happens. And also, you know, when you're hiring and staffing, if you have a small company, dude, let the applicant talk to everybody there. How yeah. hard is it to let uh, one person talk to the other two people yeah. that are there? Because they're going to live it with these people. Take your time. Uh, you make you you succeed or fail when it comes to hiring or when it comes to employees at the point of hiring them. Yeah. I mean, that's like, I mean, th that is so much about it. I mean, there's obviously a, a, a zillion different components that occur after you got to treat people well. You got to, uh, people want to feel like they, uh, if you want to get people to believe, you have to believe in them. Yeah. And then so, what they do matters and yeah. they get latitude to do what yeah. they think is right. But yeah, it's hard. The, the what you do matters thing is uh, at, at full scale, we use a phrase called client obsessed. Um, it is actually for the benefit of our clients, but more so for the benefit of our employees because it creates a purpose-driven uh, yeah. existence. Like know that what you're doing matters. And like that's sometimes that's hard to to convey if you have remote teams because they're disconnected often from the bulk of the company and they yeah. don't un fully get the they don't get the fully immersed version of what how important what they're doing is. And so it can feel like a cog. Yeah. And, you know, with that, um, and I'll close with this, uh, we mentioned earlier that, uh, look, a not all clients are created the same. Not all users are, are the same. That is not a reality. Uh, pick and choose your clients and who you do business with wisely because, um, you know, great clients are like great partners. They're like great investors. They're going to be as invested in helping you many times and they're going to pay you and they're going to grow with you. And if you can help and find ways to make them successful, they're going to notice. It's yeah. kind of like that caring employee. So, yeah, absolutely. So with that, and now that we've taught all of these amazing life lessons <laughs> about caring, sharing, belief, give me a big hug. Will and I know, <laughs> I know, I know. If you see a picture of Jeff and I embraced, <laughs> Later, that's different than the picture that Ryan Weber from the Tech Council and I have hugging at the Celine Dion concert. I'm going to let you guys all picture that. I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCarsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle. We do it.